The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, and welcome to the prophetic voice of our time, where we focus on the voice of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our host, Christina Sasso, is a senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship Church. Let's hear what she has to say to the body of Christ. Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso with Freedom Fellowship Church and Sons of God Ministries International. I'm filling in for Pastor Chris. It's been a while since I've been here on the Prophetic Voice of Our Time, so I'm very pleased and happy to be here. But I hope all of you are ready because we always have a fresh, exciting new word for you every time on the Prophetic Voice of Our Time. God has exciting things in store for you, so you should listen in and be excited. And before we begin, as always, those of you that really enjoy this show and really enjoy what we have to share, you can always support us. We are supported by people just like you every single week by going to our website, SOGMI.org slash donate. Again, that is SOGMI.org slash donate. So without further ado, let's just jump into the message for today. And the first thing I want to talk about is I want you to think about maybe in your own life or maybe in some other people's life about some of the good relationships that you've witnessed. And think about what are the characteristics that define a good relationship, whether a good marriage, a good romantic relationship. We know that typically these kinds of relationships, they always have trust. They always have open communication with one another. They're able to negotiate with one another, even in conflict. Maybe they don't always agree or see eye to eye, but they're always able to negotiate and come to some sort of resolution. They're affectionate towards one another. They intentionally show appreciation towards one another. You know, it's very interesting because all these things are things that contribute to a good relationship. There was a study that was done back in the 1970s by a couple of researchers, and they wanted to see if they could determine if they could find a way to predict whether a relationship, a marriage, was going to last for a longer period of time. So they got a bunch of couples together, and they saw how they approached conflict resolution, how they approached problems together, and they were able to predict with 90% accuracy which of those relationships remained together after nine years. They did a follow-up nine years later to see who was together, and they were actually able to predict with 90% accuracy which of the couples we're going to stay together. And the discovery that they found was actually kind of simple. Basically, what they discovered was that for every negative interaction, these successful couples had five positive interactions for every single one of those negative interactions. So maybe there was an argument, maybe there was some kind of disagreement that happened between them, but between that and the next negative interaction, there was at least five positive things that they did or said to one another. So to put this in perspective, that means that both partners are working towards being affectionate, showing appreciation towards one another, negotiating, trusting, and communicating with one another. It's a two-way street. So now I want you to think about maybe you've witnessed it in your own life or maybe you've witnessed it in other people's lives. I want you to think about what a one-sided relationship looks like. Perhaps you've seen in a one-sided relationship where one of the two in the relationship is very critical of the other person, right? Maybe the other person can never do anything right. They're criticized for every step they take, criticized for everything they do. Maybe in a one-sided relationship you've witnessed, maybe affection and gratitude is only ever 
initiated from one side. Maybe one person is always the one that's showing love and affection, always serving, always loving, and the other person never, ever gives anything back. Maybe one person's always on the receiving end. They're never on the giving end. And you see that in relationships like this, these one-sided relationships, whether one of the partners is always critical or maybe one of the partners is the only one that's ever giving affection, you know that eventually that relationship is going to take its toll on one of the two. If you're always the only person who initiates affection, who initiates love and gratitude, eventually you're going to run out of stuff to give. You're going to run out of something to give to the other person. There's only so much that you can give without that feelings being reciprocated. And it's the same. If every interaction that you have with somebody is negative, they criticize for everything that you do, maybe every single thing, you can never get anything right. Even when you try your best, you still get criticized. You're still wrong. You still do it wrong. Eventually, that's going to take its toll on you because it's too negative. A relationship People need to feel loved and appreciated. And if everything you do is criticized, then it's hard to feel appreciated. So the question that I brought these things up, so now that you have this picture in your mind, the reason why I say these things, so we know we don't want to be in a one-sided relationship. We don't like to see other people in a one-sided relationship. Humans always want to feel that their affection and their love is being returned back to them. But the reason why I say these things and I brought this up is because most Christians are in a one-sided relationship with God. I want you to sit down and think about the kinds of prayers you pray to God. Often, they're prayers of need. God, I need this. God, when are you going to give me this? God, you promised me this. When is this going to manifest? It's like we have a laundry list or a grocery list of these are the things I'm believing for, God. I'm continuing to pray for these things, God. It's almost like we're treating God as a sugar daddy. All right, well, we'll give you what you want, God, but only if you give us what we want. And this is a one-sided relationship. When is the last time you ministered to God's needs? When's the last time that you were intentionally affectionate towards God, that you intentionally showed appreciation towards him? Because, you know, like in a married couple, whenever they want to be affectionate or they want to spend some time together, they have to be kind of intentional because they have to deal with kids, work. They have to decide, okay, you know what? We're going to have a date night on this night. We're going to make time for each other. When is the last time you made time for God? When's the last time maybe you had a date night with God? You romanced God. It's so important that we understand God desires to enter into a real intimate relationship with us. Because yes, he's our provider. Yes, he's our savior. But he's also the lover of your soul. He desires to hold you in his arms and love on you and for you to love him back. It's time that we as Christians think about, okay, what can I do to pursue and love on God? Because there are so few Christians that see God this way. They'll worship God on Sunday. They'll pray to God, but they never intentionally Seek out a way to minister to his needs, to love on him, and show appreciation towards him. And this is something that God desires so, so deeply. That's why we are even here on the earth. God created humans for that fellowship, for that relationship. It is such an integral part of the Christian walk. Because he has that deep longing to be close to us as believers. So I encourage you, find a way to be intentional about the way that you romance Jesus, 
about the way that you show affection towards him and love on him. Because I think you have to understand is that anything that's given to God, man, he can't help but pour it back. He always, always, always finds a way to give back what you've given him and even more. In Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 37, and this is Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. See, Jesus, in this place, he knew that these people were going to put him on the cross. He knew that all the prophets, such as John the Baptist, who had been sent to them, had been killed by them. But still, in this verse, Jesus is expressing a deep longing to hold Jerusalem and the people of God in his arms. And understand, this desire has not changed. But this is so important that we enter this two-way relationship with God that he has been pursuing us. He has been pursuing you for so long. He sent his son to die for you. He took all the burden of sin and death. He has put so much work into this relationship, and what have we given back? I really think you need to think about that. But the reason why I bring this up is because the body of Christ is at a turning point right now. We've talked about how God wants to bring about a transfer of influence and affluence to where the body of Christ is going to be in a position of authority, influence, and power. We are going to be entering into that promised land. Okay, the promised land, that's where God, he had promised a land to the people of God. And that was where they were able to drive out the enemy and they were able to establish dominion. They created the nation of Israel, which was a nation of a people whose God was the Lord. This is what we are going to be establishing in every industry. Where God has called you, whatever industry, whatever sector that is, Whether it's to the pulpit, whether it's to the business sector, whether it's education, finance, wherever God has called you, that is your promised land. And when you get there, you're going to have some giants to slay, you're going to have some fortresses to topple, but you will be establishing God's kingdom in that area. And that's where the transfer of influence and power is going to take place. But I say this because... The body of Christ is being called into that promised land to step into influence and power. But the people who are going to lead the charge, those are people that have this two-way intimate relationship with God. They're going to be the people that talk to God, that hear from God, that love on God, and really have a heart after him. Those are the people that are going to lead the way into the promised land. It's going to be those select few people that have decided, you know what, God, I'm going to pursue you no matter what. We stop thinking about our own desires. We stop thinking about our own needs because God always provides our needs. He's always proven himself faithful that he will always provide the need when we need it. So we don't even need to worry about it. We just focus on God and everything's taken care of. But I'm going to prove it to you because in the scripture, The first generation that was taken to the promised land by Moses, they could not enter. Why? Because they doubted God and they did not believe in him. God led them through the wilderness. He parted the Red Sea. He rained manna from heaven. And when the spies were sent into the promised land, there were 12 spies. Ten of them came back and they said, oh, no, we can't take the land because there's giants. We're just like insects to them. We will surely perish if we try to fight these people. That's what they told 
the other people in Israel. And then they were conspiring to go back to Egypt. And then they were conspiring to even stone Moses and Aaron. So God was so angry that he sent all the people to wait 40 years in the wilderness so that the next generation could come and enter the promised land. And this is what you have to understand. There's some people, there's this temptation that as soon as you experience hardships, when you experience any kind of opposition, right, you see some giants, you see some fortresses, that we want to go back to our old ways of doing things. We want to go back to the old system. And that's what the Israelites wanted to do in this case. They were like, let's just go back to Egypt. Why would God lead us into the wilderness to die? Why would he take us to the land of Canaan, just be killed by these giants? Let's just go back to Egypt. We might have been slaves, but at least we had food. That's what they were saying. And God was not pleased with this. Now, there were two spies that brought back a good report. They were Joshua and they were Caleb. And both Joshua and Caleb, hey, they were excited. They knew who God was. They knew that since God promised them this land, it didn't matter how big the giant was. It didn't matter how strong the fortress was. They said, look, God has already given the land into our hands. Surely we will be triumphant and we will be able to take it. That's what they told the people. But the people had none of it. They were conspiring to stone Moses and just go back to Egypt. So God was not happy. And because of this, he forced them to wait 40 years in the wilderness so that the next generation could come and enter the promised land. So when Moses was dying, it came time for God to appoint for Moses a successor that was going to lead this new generation into the promised land. And for that successor, God told Moses, Joshua is that guy. Joshua is the one who's going to do it. Now, it's important to stop here and wonder, why was it that Joshua was chosen as Moses' successor? Because Joshua was one of those spies that believed in God. But why was Joshua chosen over Caleb, who was the other spy, right? Both of them believed in God's promise. Both of them believed that God was able to do it. They had faith in God. So why was it that Joshua was chosen over Caleb to lead the people of God into the promised land? And to see this, we go to Exodus chapter 33, starting with verse 7. It says in verse 7, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. So I want you to imagine this. Moses sets up a tent right outside the camp. He goes in there to talk to God and just the presence of God comes down. The pillar of cloud comes down and everyone can see it. That's a really amazing sight. So it says in verse 11, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is the important part right here. Moses would go into the tent of meeting to hear the voice of God, get direction from the Lord, and when he got direction, he would leave and deliver the message to the people. That's what Moses was doing. But Joshua 
He said, look, I don't need to go out there. I want to stay here in the presence of God. And this is the important quality that was the reason why God picked Joshua to replace Moses, is that Joshua earnestly desired the presence of God. Whenever he had the opportunity, man, that cloud, the holiness of God came down. Joshua was just sitting in there, soaking it up. Look, I want to stay here in the presence of God. Moses goes in there. He gets his meeting. He gets his instructions from God. He goes out to talk to the people. Joshua stays there in the presence of God. He's like, look, I'm going to stay here as long as I can because I want to cherish the presence of God. This is the important quality that differentiated Joshua from Caleb. Joshua loved and he sought after the presence of God. He earnestly sought after it. And this is what we as Christians should do is the same. Any opportunity we have to be in God's presence, to love on God, to just abide in him. If that is something that we cherish and we pursue after, and that becomes the most important thing in our life, then we will be among those that are going to go into the promised land to take dominion, to lead the people of God through that transfer of influence, wealth, affluence, because this move that God wants to bring to the earth is so important. You're talking about a transfer of influence the church has never seen in its history. And I want you to understand, I need you to see that our obedience to God, our faithfulness to God, it is going to affect all the future generations that come after us. And if we obey God and we submit to him, the future generations are going to look back at us and they're going to be so grateful for our obedience because we were able to bring the church and this nation to a place that it has never been to before. I want to see a future where the United States of America, where that is a nation whose God truly is the Lord. I want to see that future. I want to see a future where the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. We have the ability to bring that future if we pursue God. We stop focusing on our own issues, on our own desires, our own needs. God's going to meet those needs anyway. We pursue God we will be among those that help bring about that future. I want you to remember the vision that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 2 in the last days. It says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. This is a future where the mountain of God's temple is going to be exalted above every other nation, above every other power, and people are going to see that and they're going to say, Let's go there because we're going to learn the ways of God. We're going to learn God's ways of doing things. So this is a world, this is a future where God is honored and respected by the other nations, by the other peoples. We as Christians, through our obedience, can be among those that are going to bring about that future to where people are going to desire to learn about God. People are going to desire to step into God's ways of doing things. They're going to want to learn his ways and live according to his precepts, our obedience our faithfulness to God will play its part in doing that. And understand, no giant, 
No nation, no scheme can stop this. The only thing that can stop this is if we allow ourselves to get distracted, if we allow ourselves to step out of God's perfect will. But if we be like Joshua, where we just abide in God, where that's the most important thing to us, to where when God shows up, man, that's all that matters, right? I just want to be in God's presence. I just want to love on God. I want to honor him. When that becomes the most important thing to us, then we'll already be stepping into God's perfect will. Because understand, once you're in the will of God, once you're walking in perfect accordance to his will, it doesn't matter what giants stand in front of you. It doesn't matter what principalities stand in front of you, what armies stand in front of you, man. Every one of them is going to fall. And that's exactly what happened to Joshua and the people of Israel once they entered the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan River. They walked across as on dry ground. They came up to Jericho. The walls fell before them as they obeyed God. And in Joshua chapter 12, it lists king after king after king after king who fell before Joshua. I want us to read through this because it's really quite something. Israel, they went into Canaan. They went where God told them. And not a single one of these nations was able to stand against them. Joshua chapter 12, starting with verse 7. Here is the list of kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan. From Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal division. The lands included the hill country, the western footholds, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were the kings. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, near Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Horma, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasheron, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Meron, one. The king of Akshaf. The king of Ta'anak. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jachnium in Carmel, one. The king of Dor, one. The king of Goyim in Gilgal, one. The king of Tirzah, one. These were 31 kings in all. So after reading that, I hope you understand. Look, no principality, no weapon formed against us can prosper. But it's only if we are in accordance to God's perfect will. He has all the power. He has all the authority. We just need to step into obedience. And I encourage you, look, God has been living in a one-sided relationship with the body of Christ for too long. It is time that we do our part in just loving God back, showering him with the same adoration, with the same love and respect that he has already showered on you. It's just time that we give some back to him. And I tell you what, he will be so grateful and excited to partake 
in that love walk with you. Because understand, the future generations, they are relying on our obedience. So it's up to us. Amen? So I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. Look, we have such an exciting future ahead of us. If we can just step into our calling, we are going to see such miracles, signs, and wonders happen, even in the near future. So I encourage you, let's obey God every step of the way. And as always, if you enjoy this broadcast and you want to support this broadcast, I encourage you go to our website, SOGMI.org, and hit donate. Again, that is SOGMI.org. We are supported by listeners just like you who were touched by the message. So I encourage you, if God is leading you to give and support us, then give freely. And as always, too, if you want to listen to this broadcast or listen to other episodes of this broadcast, you can go to our website as well. Go to teachings and then podcasts, and you'll see the prophetic voice of our time. You can go back hundreds of episodes. There's so much content there. So I really encourage you to check it out. But I am out of time for this week. So I thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Joshua Sasso. You've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. Until next time, God bless you. Hello, everybody. This is James Sasso with a really quick announcement for all of you listeners. Just a heads up that we are going to be holding a leadership training on September 10th through the 12th. Now, this is a free event. Anyone is able to join. All you have to do is register. You need to register in order to be a part of this event. In order to register, go to SOGMI.org slash events, or you can click on the event page at SOGMI.org. Again, this is a free event, and it will be live streamed for anyone who wishes to participate. With everything going on and all that God has promised us, you do not want to miss this training. That is all. Thank you once again for tuning in, and until next time.